from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Measured Thoughts on Business Radio. Powered by the Wharton School. Here's your host, David Reebstein. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Measured Thoughts with Dave Reebstein on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Dave Reebstein, and I'm joining you here on Sirius XM Channel 111, which I do every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern, and we are replayed throughout the week. Today in the studio, and actually, let me make it clear, I'm in the San Francisco studio today. Normally, I broadcast out of the Philadelphia studio, but I'm in the San Francisco studio, and joining me in the studio is Sunil Betty, who is... Co-hosting with me today, a doctoral student extraordinaire, and Sunil, welcome. Glad to have you with us glad here. Glad to be here again, Dave. I'm glad to be in San Francisco. It's a beautiful day in San Francisco. Beautiful weather. We're sitting, actually, at the uh, Wharton West Campus, looking out uh, the windows and see the uh, the Bay Bridge. Clear, sunny day. You know, I just, I had, when I left Philadelphia, it was still cold and everything. Apparently, it's nice weather there now that we've cleared out again. Of course, of course, when we leave. What are we here for, Dave? But, uh, so we are here because I start a course um, tomorrow for our executive MBAs. And I've got uh, between 220, 230 executive MBAs that are from both the East Coast and the West Coast. And actually, they fly in every other weekend. Uh, for classes, but I've got them all together and I'm going to do one week intensive and Sunil is joining me for that. It'll be very intensive, yeah. It'll it'll be very, very intensive, uh, but we'll have a great week uh, for sure. Absolutely. And hey, we're in the Bay Area. Can't beat it. No no complaints there. And we've got a great show today. Great guests. So we've got two guests that are in studio, sitting in studio with us right now. Actually, we've got three guests that are in studio with us right now, if I, if I will correct my own, myself. The first one that we have is Brandon Schneider, who is the Chief Revenue Officer of the Golden State Warriors. And he is here with Matt. Oh, my gosh. How do you pronounce that? Dinashera. Did I get that right? Yeah. Uh, close enough, right? Uh, who is here, and he works uh, directly as a publicist with uh, with Brandon and make sure I don't get him in any trouble or Brandon doesn't get himself in any trouble. And then in the second half hour, we're going to have Lisa Haggerty, who is uh, ad measurement lead for Pinterest. And so I'm very excited to have both of these guests in the program with us. And so we're going to hear from both of these guests throughout uh, throughout the program and before we begin, I want to remind our audience that you're listening to Measured Thoughts with Dave Reepstein on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio Powered by the Wharton School. And you can give us a call at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. You can email us at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at biz, that's B-I-Z Radio 111. But let's get started. And we're going to start with Brandon Schneider who is Chief Revenue Officer, Golden State Warriors. And Brandon, welcome. Glad to have you here. Thanks for having me on, Dave. This is my first chance to meet you, uh, but absolutely delighted. And it's perfect timing. Perfect timing because I understand there's this basketball tournament that's going on, right? Would have been even better timing if we would have uh, had a different result yesterday. But yes, good timing. Well, I, I don't know. As the chief revenue officer, maybe this works in your favor. I don't, I don't know. But let's, let's dive into that. I want to understand a little bit about you since this is my first time to, to meet you. What's your background? And, um, and how is it you ended up 
being with the uh, the Golden State Warriors. Yeah. So I grew up in the Bay Area. Um, so been here all my life, aside from school, went to UCLA, um, and kind of fell into the job with the Warriors. Um, grew up a sports fan, but back in those days, I don't know, you know, I, I didn't know if you weren't six foot eight, if you could actually make a career of working in sports. Um, and I was at a Giants game with a family friend who was with Fox Sports Net. He was the general manager at the time. That was our RSN partner. And he, he knew I was looking for jobs. I was 22 years old. And he said, I can put in a word for you with uh, the Giants uh, and the Warriors. And I was like, that would be great. Um, and so two months later, I got a call from the president of the Warriors assistant. I uh, said, uh, Robert Rao would like to meet with you. So I put on one of my dad's suits and uh, <laughs> went and sat with the president of the Warriors, not knowing what we were talking about. And uh, he asked me if I could sell. Um, and the rest is history. So you were you put in for a job at the Giants and the and the Warriors. You were sport agnostic. You didn't care what sport. Well, at the time, I think I was job agnostic. Um, <laughs> right. you know, so I was a business economics major with an accounting minor at UCLA. Uh, graduated in two thousand one. Uh, if you think back to that time, the stock market had just crashed. Um, so I thought I was going to be an investment banker or a venture capitalist or something like that. Great interviews with Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, and, and people saying, you know, we, we'd love to hire you, but we're actually firing people. Um, and so when I was sitting in the suite and he said, Giants or Warriors, I, I wasn't going to be, I wasn't in a position to be uh, picky at that point. But yeah, I mean, I, I grew up loving all sports. And, and you know, obviously, but by the way things have ended up, I would, I'm happy it ended up being the Warriors. You probably in 2001 had a vision of flipping burgers at McDonald's is what, you know, what looked in your future and how wonderful. I mean, you've got a job that people idolize. I mean, they, they would kill to have the job that you've got. So it's like, you know, for all of us that are sports fans, it was like, oh, my gosh, if there would be some way I could work for a team, let alone the Golden State Warriors. I mean, that's it sort of is like the pinnacle. So you've got that job. You started off in sales. Yeah, so I started off in ticket sales, and, and I'll, I'll correct you a little bit. So uh, the pinnacle. So when I started with the Warriors, we were in the middle of a run, uh, an 18-season run, uh, where we made the playoffs one time. Uh, and I don't know, you know, for those who aren't as big of basketball fans as I am, we play in a league where 16 of 30 teams make the playoffs. So, you know, do the math. 18-year span, you'd expect to make the playoffs you know, eight or nine times. We made it once, actually hard to do. Right. Um, so that, that's been the Warriors' uh, history up until the last uh, six years, where, where now we are, you know, we're fortunate to have an unbelievable team, unbelievable organization uh, competing for championships now. Wow. Well, I didn't say you started at the pinnacle, but you are, <laughs> you are at the pinnacle right now, Fair which, point. Is, which is pretty amazing. So you've got a, a title that maybe not everyone would recognize what that title represents. So you're the chief revenue officer. You're in charge of the money, right? <laughs> the money coming in. Yeah, that's right. Which, uh, which is actually a nice position to be in. What's that mean? What's it mean to be the chief revenue officer? What are your responsibilities? Yeah, so, so I oversee um, our, our ticket group. So we've got about 50 or 60 people that are involved in selling and servicing our ticket holders, um, suites, um, and then marketing. And so for us, marketing is kind of um, traditional marketing, digital. Um, we have an analytics team. Uh, youth basketball falls in that kind of sphere. Uh, game presentation. So, so the way that we present our game in arena, everything other than the basketball. Um, so that's all marketing. Uh, and then we have a corporate partnership team um, that works with different brands in the, in the area. So, you know, as we talk about the new arena, which I'm sure we'll get to Chase Center, um, that's something this group uh, was responsible for. Um, and then involved with our community relations um, and our Warriors Community Foundation. Um, so, you know, we obviously have an incredible platform um, and want to do the right thing in the community, but want to want to really take advantage of 
of the platform that our players have and that we have, um, as you said, at being at the pinnacle. And then we also have a, a, um, a G League team down in Santa Cruz. Um, so don't call the, the G, don't call me D League, um, is our, our minor league affiliate um, that plays uh, down in Santa Cruz. So I oversee that business as well. Wow. And, and the corporate sponsorships are part of, of what you do too? Yeah. So you're in charge of revenue. Rev <laughs> revenue sources are sponsorships, ticket sales. Do you have anything to do with the TV contracts? Um, we all do. I mean, the, the, the TV contracts are very long-term, but TV and radio are in that yeah. sphere too. Apparel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, merchandise. Uh, merchandise. Anything else that sort of goes in there? Uh, I mean, you have other things like you know food and beverage and parking and those sorts of things, but you, you hit on the, the main kind of areas that we focus on. Right. And... Um, you know, you've been extremely successful as uh, as you've pointed out the team hasn't always been successful but the team is unbelievably successful right now just for those few listeners that aren't following exactly where uh, the the warriors are right now um, what's going on with the warriors how how much success have they had on the court yeah so I think the turning point was probably you could probably point back to when Joe Lacob and Peter Guber bought the team in November of 2010 um, uh, following that, we started a run in the 12-13 season where we made the playoffs six years in a row. So you had an 18-year span where we made it once. Uh, we talked about that. And now we've been in the playoffs six years in a row. Um, the first year, we were a six-seed, won our first-round matchup, then lost in the second round. The second year, uh, we lost in the first round. And then we, we brought in Steve Kerr um, as our head coach, which was another uh, big move along this path. Um, and then in the 14-15 season, uh, we won 67 games and won the championship. Um, which was our first championship in 40 years. Um, four, wow. Fourth for our franchise, but first since 1975. Um, and then, so so right now, we just finished a regular season. We, we Over the last four years, we've actually won more regular season games uh, than any team has in the history of the NBA. Um, and so we've won two of the last three championships, up three games to one right now um, against the Spurs. Many of you probably saw yesterday's game. Um, and, and so we have game five tomorrow night at Oracle. Yeah, so I know yesterday's game was a little bit of a disappointment, but as I said to you before we went on the air, maybe as the chief revenue officer, having lost last night's game or yesterday's game, it means more revenue, right? You know, we, we look at it a little differently. I mean, we we, uh, we want to win, right? So, you know, if you start thinking that way, you know, the, the first goal of, I assume most teams, but certainly of the Warriors, is we want to win championships. So, you know, our goal is to win every game. Um, and, and if you do that in the long run, I think everything else kind of takes care of itself. But our focus is winning. So we, we've got the game five in front of us. And, look, give the Spurs a lot of credit. They're, they're a veteran, proud uh, team, and they came out and played a great game yesterday. So we gotta we got to regroup and looking forward to being in front of a raucous environment at Oracle. we get got the best fans in the world. Um, so we can hopefully close it out tomorrow night. Uh, well, good luck with that. Uh, let me remind our audience you're listening to Measure Thoughts with Dave Reepstein on Sirius XM channel 111 business radio powered by the Wharton School and you can give us a call at 1-844-WHARTON that's 1-844-942-7866 and we're currently speaking with Brandon Schneider who is the chief revenue officer of Golden State Warriors um, I guess one of the things that I'm really curious about Brandon is uh, your job actually is really cushy you know not not only are you with the team that's doing extremely well um, which makes it nice but then because it's doing so well, you know, getting people willing to sponsor, getting people wanting to buy merchandise, getting people who want to come to the games, that's easy. 
In fact, your biggest problem is, is finding more seats. Yeah. So, so, so um, I guess one of the questions is, are, are you doing anything right now other than just sort of you know going to games and enjoying it? You know, it's funny, us sitting and doing this interview, it's one of the few times I don't sit back with my feet up on the desk. I figured, <laughs> I, I figured I, we just met, so I figured I shouldn't do that. Uh, go ahead, help yourself. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. Um, You know, it, it's funny. I, I think um, I think a lot of people do assume that, you know, especially right. with the ticket piece. People are like, oh, because we have sold out 282 games in a row. Great, great fans. But but for us, we, we as good as the team is, we, we actually look at it the other way. We, we, we see it as such an incredible opportunity. And, and, and the first thing I would say is, um, our team's not always going to be this good, right? So we we saw. I know that's like this just in, um, but we probably can't be a historically good team in in perpetuity. Uh, and, and look, we our goal is to be a competitive team competing for championships every year. But realistically, we're probably not always going to be as good as we are today. And, and we have some experience with that, as we talked about. So I think for us, it's um, building the equity um, with our fans, right? So we we continue to invest. I, I'll give you an example. We have, we have a group of 14 people that service our, our season ticket holders, and, and we invest pretty heavily to make sure that they have an unbelievable experience. Um, there are other teams throughout time that when they're in a position like we are, don't invest as heavily there. Um, we think it's really important. So that's that's a small example, but but we want to make sure that we're providing the best experience for our fans, whether that's in arena, um, you know, that's through social, digital, internationally, um, because we, we think that's, that's the right way to build, um, you know, our team, our business, our brand for the long term. So it's 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 sort of funny because how far out are you really thinking? Because as long as far as I could see, uh, you're you're probably sold out already for next year, right? Yeah. And, and I read something about this huge waiting list you have already. So for the foreseeable future, you know, things are just you know blooming and looking really really good. So when you say you're building and, and investing in your future, how far out are you thinking? Well, I mean, we're thinking out a long ways. I mean, so we're building a new arena in San Francisco, and what we usually talk about is this will set the stage for our franchise for the next 30 years. Um, and, and, and we know that things can change, you know, quickly. And so we, we never take where we are for granted. So you mentioned the wait list. We have 43,000 people on our season ticket uh, wait list, which is great. Just pause for a second. You've got 43,000 <laughs> on your wait list. How big is the new arena? Yeah, so we, we've, we'll have about 12,000 season ticket holders at Chase Center. Uh, you, the new arena is going to seat 19,500. Why don't you do season ticket holders for the whole thing? So the new arena is actually slightly smaller. So the, the 19,596 is Oracle Arena. Um, that's the capacity at our current building. We're actually building a slightly smaller arena here in San Francisco. Why so, would you do that? <laughs> you know, we're, we're focused on fan experience. So what, what you basically – so so when I say that – uh, more intimate, right? So we want it to to feel like you're everyone's close to the action. And, and when you do that, when when you take out seats, so we have about fifteen hundred less seats. And it does it surprises people when we say that. What you're basically doing is taking off the last two or three rows of the building. So you're bringing you're you're basically creating an environment where everyone is closer to to, to the court. And one one other thing we did, not to get too much in the weeds, but. Oracle Arena has two rings of, of suites. Uh, buildings like Staples Center actually have three. Uh, we're only building one at Chase Center. And what that does is it takes the people in the kind of upper bowl, about almost half the building, and brings them that much closer to the floor. So we can actually say every seat at Chase Center is closer, closer uh, to the floor than the, than the um, equivalent seat at, at Oracle. So, again, we're really focused on creating that best uh, experience for our fans. That we're, like we're, 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 we're always focused on fan experience. Yeah. Uh, you know, it sounds like it'll make it a better experience for the fans. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, you just got me thinking about one of the aspects, which is you're in Oracle Arena right now. You're moving to Chase. Um, are, the naming of the arenas, 
that's got to be a big revenue source also. And what was going on with Oracle that Oracle didn't say, well, we want to name the new building also? You know, I mean, so there's been a lot of, or there had been or has been a lot of discussions um, about all of, a, a whole host of different partners. Um, you know, the, the company deciding to put their name on the building being one of them. You know, I think some would say, you know, if you build a new arena um, and have the same name on it, um, Oracle, Are Oracle Arena is known as Oracle Arena in Oakland, right? So, so to call the new arena in San Francisco the same thing, uh, I don't, I'm not sure if that fits for, for anybody, right? I don't for even, you know, for Oracle. Um, we, um, you know, we have a great relationship with Oracle. It's been awesome, um, you know, it, it, working with them over these last, you know, 10, 15 years since they named the building um, and, and working with them to have a relationship that continues into Chase Center. Um, but again, if I said Oracle Arena into Oracle Arena, just, just even in this conversation, you kind of get what I'm saying. It just doesn't, it doesn't have the impact that you're looking for in a relationship like that. So we're really excited to have um, Chase, you know, on board and, 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 you know, working with them to partner on a whole host of things as we move into Chase Center. Yeah, it, that does make sense. I hadn't thought about that till you, as soon as you start talking about it, it was, of course, you want to change the name just so you have that new experience, a new field that's, that's going on. Now, um, last week, actually, I had on the air the chief marketing officer of the Sixers. And, um, and they're sort of coming from a different spot. They haven't been, you know, riding high and winning two out of the last three, you know, championships. And, and they're sort of the, you know, where the Warriors used to be. Uh, they've been out of the playoffs for quite a while and not even close. I mean, they've been at the bottom and they've got a, actually they contend that they have the highest season ticket sales of any team. I don't know if you would disagree with that, but you know, it, it's sort of like who's got the largest shopping mall. Everybody measures it a little bit differently. Um, but they too have launched a big campaign and I'm trying to think of, um, you've got a campaign that's going on right now. And one of the things that I'm very curious about in this show is how you measure whether or not what you're doing is worthwhile. So, you know, the players on the court, we could look at what their shooting percentages are and we could see if they're winning. How are you measured and how do we know, you know, whether or not the marketing efforts are really worthwhile? So there's a lot of different ways that you that you look to measure marketing, and some some um, you know some vehicles are easy, more easily measurable than others. Um, we're very analytics data and analytic, analytics centric, excuse me, um, and so really want to measure everything. To your point, um, you know I think when you when you're doing things more from a digital standpoint, um, you know it's not it, it's a lot easier to measure is that having the desired effect, right? So if you're if you're running ads retargeting or Facebook or whatever the mode may be, um, and you're trying to to sell a Ticket. Is that is that working? And, and by the way, you know, you mentioned we talked about the sellouts, but for us, one of the big things is letting our fans know to buy tickets from Warriors.com as opposed to other sites. There's a lot of third-party sites out there that that we we've all probably heard of, right. and it and it's it's hard for fans because we see a lot of fraud. And so if you purchase tickets from a third-party site, um, you know, you have a decent chance that the ticket may not work. So we, we've worked really hard to to train our fans to say, look, go to warriors.com, 100% guaranteed your ticket will scan. So when I talk about marketing tickets, some of that's actually education. Like we we, we don't have a lot of our tickets, but our, our season ticket holders can actually resell um, their seats uh, on our site. So even, you know, what we like to say is tickets are always available even for sold out games um, through that vehicle. So when, when I say run ticket ads, just clarifying, that's more what we're looking at is helping our season ticket holders to sell their tickets and to train our fans, like go to warriors.com so that you don't have that, that bad experience if you buy your tickets elsewhere. So if I have a ticket and it turns out, you know, I'm, I'm called out of town, I go to go somewhere in business, um, I could resell through your site? That's right. 
Um, and so, and then do, do those get marked up? Uh, sort of, as I think about other ticket sites, it sort of is an auction to a large degree. Who's got the biggest bid for, you know, the seat that's available? Um, or it's got a price on the ticket. Um, when you're reselling those tickets, are, are you doing it at face value with maybe a little bit of uh, handling fee or is it sort of a bidding situation? So it's, it's I would say neither. Um, and, and this day and age, by the way, Dave, there's very few tickets have a price printed on them any longer. Uh, and the reason is with, with things like dynamic pricing, ticket prices tend to fluctuate quite a bit. So it's so what price would you print on the ticket? As soon as you print it, it's probably obsolete. So that's that's not really a thing anymore. And, and especially with digital ticketing, tickets tend to, to move. Rather than me and you meeting up for me to hand you a ticket, usually that's done electronically. So that aspect's kind of changed from, from how it used to be. Um, you're, what, what you're, I, you're showing my age is what you're saying. Yeah, you know, my but it's, my it's, age too, by the way. And, and by the way, the, the other thing showing our age is, you know, in, in many, many years ago, you had a ticket and you walked into an event and then they would tear your ticket, right? You walk in and, and, and nowadays it's all done by barcodes. So when the fraud happens, we're able to, you, you know it before that, that ticket scans into the building. But back to your price um, discussion, the nice thing about the secondary market um, or the resale market, as it were, is the teams, the warriors aren't setting the prices. So Dave, as a season ticket holder, you're able to come in and, and, and resell your ticket for whatever price you want to. Um, and, and the reason I say that's nice because I think it, 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 by definition, allows the market um, to dictate pricing. We, we don't, we have nothing to do with setting that price. And to take it a step further, we spend a lot of time understanding what tickets are trading for in the secondary market um, because, again, we're not involved in setting those prices so that we can make sure we're pricing our season tickets in such a way that we gave a, a great value to our fans. Because we always want to make sure, you know, if you're buying 43 games, you're buying the whole season, that you're getting the best price of anyone out there. Sure. sure. So, so you mentioned something that really caught my attention as you referred to the dynamic pricing. Most of what I know about dynamic pricing, and I, I claim to know a fair amount about it, but most of what it is that I know about it is that when there's excess capacity, you're going to lower the prices. You know, So if you've got a game against somebody that nobody's really particularly interested in, you end up having excess capacity, you lower the prices. When it's sold out, you raise the prices. And that, that's what the airlines started. It's sort of the, the poster child for dynamic pricing. Uh, you're sold out every game. So are you guys doing dynamic pricing? Absolutely. So, so um, you know, as a sports fan, I'm sure you know this, but there are certain games um, that, that are more popular than others, right? So if we play the Cleveland Cavaliers or the Boston Celtics, there's more interest in that game than it might be against an, another opponent, uh, like the Sixers. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, six, Sixers are actually a big draw, by the way. So that, should that, be. I, I'm definitely kidding. Um, but there's other factors, right? So night of the week. Um, Friday and Saturday nights are much more popular than Monday or Tuesday nights. Sure. Uh, it turns out later in the season, March, April games um, tend to be more popular than November games. Games around the holidays tend to be really popular. So when you triangulate all this together, um, there's a pretty different value. Like the same seat might be worth three, four, five times the, the value for one game versus another. And so what, what we actually do is what we call variable pricing. So before we, we ever go on sale, we, we look at a bunch of data and analytics, prior year's data, um, to set prices um, on, on based on expected demand, because at that point you're not on sale yet, so you, so you have to make assumptions. And then once you actually go on sale, we look at a lot of factors, mainly what are tickets transacting for on the secondary market, because 
again, those, that's, that's the market dictating prices. And we use that to, to, to adjust prices. It's an interesting one because um, I think, you know, you're, the way you think of dynamic pricing is probably more how we think about it. I think a lot of people think of it as, oh, you're, you're trying to find a way to charge more for games. We, we look at it more like you, which, you know, by, by doing dynamic pricing, what we're able to do is, is keep tickets affordable for people that want to be able to go to games. If you want, if you want to go see the Cavs or you want to go, see, you want to sit in the front row or whatever it is, those are more expensive tickets. But if you want to be able to go to a game uh, with your family and not necessarily spend, you know, break the bank, you have opportunities to do that um, with certain games that are, that are priced lower than others. Right. Sure. So that makes sense. Now I've got another question I have to be asking you because I read somewhere what must have been a typo. I think I read that your merchandise sales are up. 36% over last year. That can't be, because last year you were setting record, records with your merchandise sales. So um, what's the real number? Because that can't be right. Well, I was gonna I was gonna let you uh, get away with it, but since you're really pressing me, so the number is actually thirty seven percent, not thirty six. <laughs> oh, uh, okay, that number I understand. Brandon, <laughs> <you know. laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself. And no, it, it is right, and I think you know that when you talk about merchandise, you have you have to kind of give the credit to our team. Um, you know, Steph Curry is the the top selling jersey. Uh, in the NBA, and our merchandise is number one in the NBA. Uh, when you have the success that we've had, that helps quite a bit. And then having the four all-stars, right? Steph Curry's number one. Right. Kevin Durant's number three. Uh, I'm going off memory now. I think Clay Thompson is number 14, and then Draymond Green's right there as well. The, the NBA lists the top 15. Um, so so having that, uh, the popular all-stars has helped quite a bit. And then there's other factors. I mean, we, we unveiled um, what, what we call our statement edition jersey this year, which is our town jersey, which is something we've been working on for, for a few years, kind of an homage to, to Oakland. Um, that's been really popular. That's really helped drive um, interest in the market. Um, and then the other thing that was really uh, big from a, a merchandise standpoint this year is um, the NBA transitioned um, to Nike um, as the retail partner. Uh, Nike's also a partner of the Golden State Warriors, and, and, and the interest um, derived from the new Nike jerseys has been really palpable. Um, so I think you know, I, I would point to that um, and the town jerseys, a number of other factors, but really in helping drive you know, that increased demand. Brandon, you brought up a, an interesting point about merchandising as, and what we're talking about. Um, I had actually a question about that. So you just said you know, Steph Curry, um, Jermon Green, kind of all of these players are really driving a lot of merchandising sales. So I think sports are unique in some ways uh, relative to another company where you have you know, a team brand, Golden State Warriors, you guys win a lot, and you have individual brands, right? Steph Curry has his own brand. He's you know, doing whatever he's doing on the side and commercials and everything. So how do you think about managing those two brands when maybe sometimes, hopefully sometimes they're you know, in, in a line, but sometimes they're you know, disaligned or you know, maybe, you know, Steph Curry, God forbid, gets in trouble or something. So how do you think about managing the team brand as well as individual brands when they can kind of disaggregate um, it's a, it's in the a, marketplace? Yeah, no, no, it's a good question. And I think they go hand in hand. Um, you know, it, it's an easy question for me to answer given our position because, you know, our team and, and credit goes to Joe Lacob, um, uh, Peter Guber, ownership group, and then and then down to Bob Myers, Rick Welts, Steve Kerr. Um, you know, we, we just like everyone else, we want talented players on our team. Um, but where I think we take it a, a step further is we want character players. We we want guys that are gonna they're gonna play well together because we think it you know it helps on the court. But but good guys, um, and and every team would probably say that. But I think it, as you look up and down our roster, 
um, that really proves itself out because you're right. I mean, the point you're making, like, you know, there could be things that happen from a player standpoint. You, you see it throughout sports. We see it reported on. That's not good for the player's brand. It's not good for the team's brand. Um, and, and so, you know, the kind of guys we have, we, you know, knock on wood, but, but we don't have to worry about that stuff. Steph Curry, uh, a lot, a lot of people would say he, he's a better guy than he is a basketball player, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, that's and, true. It's really true. He's, he's unbelievable. And so he, he's our leader, but you go down the list, like starters, Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant. I mean, Kevin Durant's up for the NBA, uh, season long community assist award, um, for all the stuff he's doing in the community in the Bay Area community, as well as nationwide. He, he does a lot in Washington DC where he's from, uh, university of Texas. He donated $3 million this year. Wow. So, so, so as you look at that, like you're, you're right, and and we actually view that as a huge positive to sure. our brand sure. because our players are such great guys off the court too. Sure. No, that you're always waiting for that one moment when suddenly there's a DUI or something that happens. But you guys have got such great people, uh, that's really worked uh, to your favor. I've got to ask you about your use of social media. In the second half of this uh, program, we're going to have Pinterest on, and I don't know if you have things that you uh, that are posted on Pinterest. Uh, for for the uh, you know the warriors and if you use Pinterest at all or do you use any social media and what are your objectives that you have for that? Um, so yeah, a lot of objectives, and we're using we have a whole team of people um, that are focused on our 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 voice on social media um, and Pinterest included, and um, you know it, it's all about engaging the different um, all the different demographics. So we we you know we want to be everywhere. Um, you know we're doing things with physical signage in arena, um, but social is a big part of that nowadays. Um, you know we've we've grown our followers on all the main you know Twitter, Facebook, Instagram uh, throughout the years. Um, but, but yeah, it's a huge part. And, and you know, we talked earlier about uh, measurement. Um, you know, you can measure by the number of followers, which which is important. And, and we're up there on all these different um, mediums. But it's also engagement. Um, and so, you know, we, we're always trying to create compelling content um, so that we're, you know, again, the social media audience tends to be that younger uh, millennial demographic, which is which is so important. Um, and so social media is definitely a huge uh, way that we really work to, to amplify our brand. So how do you measure engagement? It depends on the platform, right? So when, you know, if you're if you're talking about you know Twitter versus Facebook versus Instagram, there's different ways to look at that. Um, but the number of re retweets, the number of likes, the number of shares, you know, all these things go into that. And you know, it's funny you could ask ten different people how they're measuring, and people would give you different answers. But it's some combination of all of those um, factors. And do you have a revenue number that you associate with retweets or or shares or anything? Do you do you take it to that next level, trying to think about boy, if I could get one more share? that's worth 13 more cents or whatever it is you know it depends I mean it, it varies based on what you're doing because when you're sharing content there's not really any direct revenue tied to that so despite what my title says we're not always thinking about just revenue especially in the short run um, so I think you know for us again it's it's growing that brand because um, when, when you get people more engaged um, and, and by the way on these platforms a lot of what we're doing is not directly um, trying to sell you something um, you know and, and you know Facebook and all these they have different algor algorithms too based on uh, helping affect what people actually see on their feeds um, based on if you are trying to sell them something. Uh, but there's also paid efforts tied to that. So when we're, when we're spending money on ads on Facebook, as an example, which has a robust platform, um, you know, then you're measuring that differently because the point of that post was more specifically to, to drive revenue. But a lot of what we're doing really is building our brand. And so you know, we'll, we'll do things like holistic um, brand health um, studies um, that we'll do that, that, that helps us understand, is it working, right? Well, are all these different things we're doing working to grow the strength of our brand. And do you measure the, the strength of the brand? 
Yeah, that's right. That for sure. I mean, that's 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 one of the things you do um, relative to other teams and relative to where we've been. But that's that's something we we work on like on an ongoing basis. Okay, last comment I've got for you. We just you held off for only so long, and then you said no, it's thirty seven percent, not thirty six percent. So you you couldn't hold back. I've been holding back, but. Um, the Warriors did, didn't they start off as the Philadelphia Warriors in that one? So I, I I couldn't hold back on that one too. I had to to bring that up as well. So. No, no, we're we're really proud of our Philadelphia days. We we did we we won uh, we won our first two championships in Philadelphia, uh, and then we moved um, to the Bay Area. I believe it was in 1966. I want to say, um, uh, and then we played in various venues within the Bay. Um, and, and won our third championship in 74, 75, and then have won the two recently. So I'll give you another one. The Warriors are one of five franchises to have won five or more championships. The question is, can you name the other four? Now uh, I'm putting you on the hot seat. So Boston. Yes. Um, and uh, Chicago. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sunil will do the others. Oh, please. New, I would say New York. No. Okay. Oh, the Lakers. That's oh, the other the obvious one. Oh, yeah, yep. Lakers. The okay. Lakers. So you got one more. Give one more. Uh, Portland. All, you, by the way, all all the listeners right now oh, are oh, wait, yelling San, at San Antonio. You got it. There oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Course, hey, course, I, course, I did that without you. You you're watching me. I did not go on on the internet and look it up or anything. Whew. I, I got that. Well, that brings to conclusion my day. I'll go home now. But, <laughs> but uh, uh, thank you. Thank you very much uh, for joining us today. We are going to need to take a short break, but please do stay with us. When we get back, we will be speaking with Lisa Haggerty, who is Ad Measurement Lead at Pinterest. And if you want to join the conversation when we return, you can give us a call at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Or send us an email at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. This is Business Radio powered by the Wharton School on SiriusXM 111.